Cool. So here we are finally together talking about our He-Man documentary, Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And we're not yep. just uh, brainstorming for hours on end. We've actually been pulled together by the powers at He-Man.org to answer some fan mm -hmm. questions, which is pretty exciting. People we're are already curious. Not just our brains, our whole lives now. Yeah, this, uh, this is happening pretty fast, and this is fun. It's fun for me. How, how about you guys? It's been very surprising. Um, if you think about how some other documentaries we're working on have been in terms of development, this one's been much quicker. Sure. And sure. I don't know if it's because the fans are pent up, but that's what it seems like, would you say? Yeah, it seems like they've been waiting for this kind of opportunity to just jump in and help us and get behind something. And that's not to say that there haven't been other avenues, but the response has been so immediate that I think that we're filling a void that all these fans really want to get behind. So that's really cool. Yeah, it seems I also to, find from the, the creative, the, from the creative side of it too, is people um, were really eager to talk about it, really eager to be part of it. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't seem to be a topic people shy away from. And in the discussion side, they want to communicate, which is why this whole thing is happening tonight, which is cool. I guess we should take a step back and introduce who we all are, because uh, right now we're just four random voices. And uh, so, Rand, why don't you introduce yourself first um, okay. and maybe kind of share with the folks that are listening some of the stuff you've worked on in your role in this project going forward. Okay, so hi, my name is Randall Lobb. I'm a writer, director, producer from Faux Pop Media, and we did... Turtle Power, The Definitive History of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We're working on A Riddle of Steel, The Definitive History of Conan the Barbarian, A Gamer's Journey, The Definitive History of Shenmue. I'm starting to get the pattern here. Yeah, I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> Insert name. Yeah. The Definitive History of <laughs> Other Name. Exactly. That works. It works. Really I, well. I love the title Riddle of Steel, by the way. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. It's almost like we didn't come up with it. <laughs> Well, some people who are, are Robert E. Howard people, they don't like that it's coming out of the movie, right? And I, I'm quick to say it's not the Riddle of Steel, it's a Riddle of Steel. So this is, you know, something that is less about the and more about <laughs> one of the many ways sure. that that franchise manifests. And the same thing could apply to He-Man. We could get into a mess where... We're trying to articulate different people's voices, different aspects that, you know, you might like this part of He-Man, someone else might like that part of He-Man or She-Ra or whatever, and, right. and you might run over somebody's, you know, some hallowed ground somewhere that we are telling a story that they don't think is important as some other story. Anyway, that's part of the fun, is part of what makes this interesting, and um, I'm glad we're doing it. But that's who, me. Uh, who are you joined beside, Randall? This who's beside with you me? That, you, ask him. Hey, I'm who, Mark. Who are you? I'll see, Rob. Uh, <laughs> nice to meet you. No. Hi. Um, I'm Mark. I'm uh, partners with Rand in Faux Pop Media. And sure. the two of us, our company is in partnership with uh, Isaac Elliott Fisher, who you see to my, uh, well, it depends how you're looking at it, but to my left. Um, I am responsible for all the post-production, everything from uh, from ingestion to output of... Uh, the to digestion. To digestion. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I manage all of that. And uh, um, that'll be mostly my role in this project. 
Sure, and you, you've mentioned uh, your cohort who has been filming with you guys on those projects that Randall mentioned. Isaac, why don't you jump in and introduce yourself? Well, that's me. I'm Isaac Elliott Fisher. I'm also um, the cinematographer uh, for this group, kind of tied in with Faux Pop. Uh, I have another company called iProductions that uh, partnered together with Faux Pop to, to shoot Turtle Power back in early, late 2008, early 2009. So... Here we are, six years later. Um, I might, I might jump in and say that you also f function as a production designer for us as well. Yeah, and I do a lot of research, um, and we all kind of produce together these these documentaries. And um, as the obviously uh, younger of the three of us, I grew up with a lot of these properties as well. So, so it's definitely passion projects for me as well. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch on the roles in a few minutes, but I think it's really interesting how organic things shift and pull not only with you guys, but me as the new guy coming in, uh, seeing all those basically icebergs kind of afloat, but all kind of going in the same direction, if you will. Uh, and to that end, I'm Rob McCallum. Uh, the thing people might know me for is Nintendo Quest, uh, which is the most unofficial, unauthorized Nintendo documentary ever, now on sale, NintendoQuest.com. Uh, and I think it was Isaac that you and I started talking, was it about a year ago at some it point? It was around the time that I think we'd announced that Turtle Power was coming out via um, Paramount and we were getting a lot of press. And I think you must have noticed that we were some hometown boys because you're also from London, Ontario, which is where I was born. And these guys sure. were, were all based kind of um, yeah, an hour I, after. I saw that you had done an interview on Turtle Power on a Facebook fan page that it interviewed me, and that's where I saw that you guys were from Ontario. I'm like, hey, I got to reach out to this guy. And if you remember, I pitched you on doing a He-Man documentary then. And I think I said, no, nope, how dare you? Because we're gonna do it. <laughs> no, I, I don't know, man. I, that, that'll never work. Nobody would be interested in that. Yeah. Meanwhile, I could tell you were plotting in the background with your own I, and, ways. Yes, I'm pretty sure you were trying to steal our secrets as to how we got a Paramount deal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's the case because we talk about this too, right? You guys had the unfortunate problem and curse and blessing of selling to Paramount, where I've done the grassroots thing, which is why you know we're trying to merge those two I think processes. What you said is exactly right. That uh, you and I keep using this line: the chocolate and the peanut butter make a pretty good cup. So yeah, we'd we'd be crazy not to learn more about your grassroots approach. And you'd be crazy not to figure out a little more about what we're doing to sort of satisfy what would be the more, I don't want to say corporate, but that's kind of what it amounts to, the more corporate demands. So there are two crucial areas that we can learn from each other. So it's nice that we've mixed up like this for the He-Man doc. I think it's, it's going to be really nice. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I kind of I think of it as a play, right? You got stuff going on front stage where the audience sees and can interact with, but then you guys have done a lot of stuff behind the curtain, getting stuff ready for like the next scene. So I, I think it's like this handoff, this one-two punch that we got going. And that's really exciting, especially for fans of the He-Man community, because this is all about the interaction, the handshake, and the, you know, the fan service. We want you guys to be involved. We want you there every step of the way. We want to bring you on that journey as we're going out there. But at the same time, let you know that we're working behind the scenes to bring you the best possible version. And literally, like Randall was saying, the definitive kind of story of He-Man. Not just history, but all of these stories. And some of your questions that you've submitted through He-Man.org will kind of probably get to that, I imagine. So it's an exciting time. And 
like I've said to you guys, off camera, off air, off mic, whatever you want to call it, you know, this is fun. This is a huge learning experience for me. I'm loving it right now. Right now. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> As but it's, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, something fun. that Mark's going to throw in there is, uh, is going to be really great, too, I'm sure. <laughs> I've heard him do this several times. <laughs> and I just had to jump in before he got a chance to say it. Well, you know, I don't often get a chance to talk, you know, with all these talkers around me, but uh, it's, I just wanted to uh, reiterate. Are you going to correct me? No, I, just, I thought it was funny every time you'd go. And then the last one you did, I thought I'd cut that one off. But it's, it's been great meeting Rob initially on a Skype conversation, not much uh, different than this one, and uh, feeling his passion, energy. And I think that's the thing that the four of us sitting here all shares is, is, is the desire to tell an awesome story, tell it pure, tell it straight, and give you guys something and hopefully everything that uh, you could hope for in a documentary about E-Man. I can so just I- imagine that Skype conversation that we all had with Rob that, that first one that wasn't much different with all this branding behind us. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> so Rob, you want to uh, join us? I mean, come on. Um, hmm. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the, I don't, I don't remember any of that. Did did we have stuff up? No, no, no we didn't. No. <laughs> but speaking of that, you know. Uh, maybe some people don't know, you know, we've talked about sure. Turtle Power, we've talked about Nintendo Quest. Why don't we uh, take a second and cut to a couple of the trailers? Um, we'll play Turtle Power, and then I'll pr- immediately play uh, uh, Nintendo Quest, and then we'll come back. I was obsessed with Ninja Turtles. They were so unbelievably huge when I was growing up. Peek under the shell. Without a doubt, Turtles affected my life. At the indie comic. It pretty much took over the world. That became a global franchise phenomenon. We were going to drop out of school and become Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Party! It was my life. The true story. It's a story of two guys that had a dream to write, draw, tell their own comic stories. Of how Turtle Power. Disney thought it was ridiculous. Took over the world. It was selling more than the Avengers in this store. All right! Less than three years after the first Turtle comic, it was really something special. The ratings were great. The movie broke records. And the Turtle figures sold out. This is my dream come true. Turtle Power, the definitive history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Available from Paramount. It started with a simple concept. One man. 30 days. Buy all the Nintendo games. Without using the internet in any way. Boom. There's no cheat codes, there's no game genie, there's no extra lives. Some way, somehow, he'll succeed at what he wants to do with this. This journey is going to be incredible. I'm going to literally go across the country. There are precisely three things he's passionate about. Star Wars, rock and roll, and video games. And the big boss at the end of the game is the ticking clock. If he doesn't beat that, he loses a chance at a dream. I think the collecting of the games, I think will be the easier part for him. I'm gonna to get to see all these amazing game stores, all these different types of people. Regardless of whether he gets all the games, it's just gonna be this massive game loving. It's just gonna be fun. And then we started asking ourselves why it was Nintendo. Why did we pick Nintendo? 
over any other game company because I think that's the system everyone can relate to. Everyone loves the NES. For a period of time there, Nintendo was a word used to describe video games in general. Every game they came out with really had a level of success to one degree or another. And you didn't just play for three or four days. You played for weeks, sometimes months. Think about Mario and Zelda and only being limited to that space. So everything had to be so melodic. These are cool items that document historical information. If someone were to show me a library of NES games in a file on their computer, I'm not impressed. If someone were to show me the artifacts, that's what matters. Anyone can take a picture. Again, I'll say it, man. Life is too short to be doing something that you don't want to do every day. The NES is the system responsible for the industry for what it is today. That's the system everyone can relate to. Everyone loves the NES. Why don't you show me some of the games you have the world record on? Well, I have it on Zexon, Yars Revenge, Star Master, Star Voyager, Skiing. I guess games on every one of these roads. Cubert, Pitfall, Laser Blast, Kangaroo, E.T., Chopper Command. That it? And of course the favorite, <laughs> Dragster up in the corner. Hey, look at that. We're back already. Whoa. Yeah, amazing. You know, something you said, Rob, I just wanted to jump on quick. You mentioned that... Uh, we're reaching out to the fans. We should also point out we're reaching out to all the businesses involved too. Sure. So we want to have the fans see the He-Man documentary that they want to see, but we also want Mattel to see the He-Man documentary that they want to see. And any of the companies involved... It's, Past or present. Yeah, exactly. It's important that they all feel represented also. So... We're not just reaching out to the fans, we're reaching out to people at all at all points in what you would call the value chain of the He-Man story. And as Rob said, past and present. And we've already corralled quite a few of them. So it's gonna be good to, you know, you put all those visions and ideas together, you get a Venn diagram that should be a pipeline right down the middle of the uh, franchise and capture everything that everybody wants to hear. Although mm -hmm. it's inevitable something will be missed that can't fit in a 98 or 105 or whatever minute documentary we end up making and that's just to be expected sure but we've got opportunities that we can talk about as we get through these questions here that fans might get a longer cut or something exactly. like that and we'll talk about that maybe at the end after we go through the questions here what our plans are to move forward and how fans can help us but yeah randall i completely agree everybody should know that this is a very pro brand and IP or intellectual property film that we want to make. We're not going to be talking down about He-Man, She-Ra or any related entities. We're not going to be putting down Mattel. We're not going to be putting down, you know, the live action film, the other cartoons, the other iterations, the comic books. This is about thumbs up to everything across the board and everybody. why it's all important. And everybody will we'll, uh, yes. we'll tell the story that makes everybody come away feeling good about the thing that they love. Yeah, because I, not to dwell on this, but it's really easy to take pot shots and it takes a little bit of class to make everybody, you know, sit in the spotlight. And I think that's what everybody deserves with a brand like Masters of the Universe and He-Man. This is something that has defined me and Isaac and you guys are starting to learn the power of this. Mm -hmm. But all the fans out there know how crappy people can be to this and that's not who we are. So if you watch Turtle Power, if you watch Nintendo Quest, you'll see how we treat those brands and those entities with respect. So just know that that's exactly what you're going to get with Power of Grayskull. Okay. Yeah. 
I was just going to say, and at the end of the day, you know, the thing that's most interesting about any franchise IP is just the stories behind the story. And that's really what we're after. And, you know, when we did Turtle Power, and I know Rob discovered that too, just traveling and from place to place, you you get undiscovered stories. You get these little gems and these uh, little things that kind of... uh, kind of begin to define why He-Man or whatever IP we're talking about, you know, is who he and all of his friends are. So uh, anyway, um, we should probably move into the questions, eh, guys? Let's go for it. And uh, special thanks to Val over at <laughs> He-Man.org for setting up this uh, this forum here and sending over these questions to us. And uh, we've got them all up here, and I hope we didn't miss anybody. Our first question comes from Christoph. And he asks, Christoph. 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 Ah, I, I'm dyslexic. Yeah, here's the disclaimer. We apologize if we get your names wrong. We're trying our best here. Yeah, so you can see it up on the screen there. It says, will you investigate what other toy lines or franchises from which Masters of the Universe drew inspiration? Perhaps brands like Star Wars and Conan? Oh, it's, it's on under here. We Not had our Conan that. shirts on. Uh, I'll just do a quick jump in here. There he is. There's uh, there's Conan. Absolutely. I I don't know if if you guys um, if we've shared much of this story with Rob, but maybe you have. We we actually came to He Man by doing a documentary on Conan the Barbarian. Um, I'll be honest, Mark and I we're a little older than everyone else in the world. Um, <laughs> it just feels that way sometimes. Yeah. We we were we were too old for He Man. We weren't really there when it was happening. We're just a little bit older and kind of missed it. I knew about it. It wasn't super relevant to me when it was in its first incarnation. So I came to it from Conan. So there we are researching Conan, and we're reading material that falls into uh, sort of the Venn diagram between Mattel and Conan Properties International, and we're learning a lot of stuff about how. Mattel wanted to be in the Conan business. They wanted a barbarian. So definitely we'll go into that. And of course, also working on Conan, we bumped into Gary Goddard and we bumped into William Stout. So you bet we're going to talk about Conan. With regard to Star Wars, again, do you want to speak to that one of you guys? Sure. I mean, uh, and this is something that Isaac and I are, you know, huge action figure fans and stuff like this. So this is where we geek out a little bit. I guess the story goes Mattel had a, a chance to pick up Star Wars, but they didn't believe in doing an action figure line for a movie because it was a one-off on like a series. So that's a story that ultimately fed to the creation of He-Man, which would be a you know, first window syndication deal, which there was nothing like that. So that's hugely influential on Masters of the Universe coming. Now, like both of these, Conan and Star Wars, how much of that we tell will deter- be dependent upon the interviews that we get. We know it's an important fact in its origins, but until those interviews are in the can and we play with it, you know, we don't know exactly what the, that runtime is. Right, and I mean, like, I think that to get into some more nuts and bolts stuff, like with Turtles, one of the things that I was the most, uh, that I enjoyed the most in that process was digging into the the toy design and kind of the toy uh, history section. And when when you look at the history of toys like Star Wars, like they kind of revolutionized the size of action figures. He-Man came in and changed that size. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of interesting kind of like 
how and whys and you know who was involved in that toy design and how that relates to different properties and how they all changed you know how young people play and how imaginative play and scripted imaginative and non-scripted imaginative play happen. Oh, we're right and down it, Isaac's uh, pet pet theory there. Oh, I love it. I oh. love that. I mean, that's, I, but so that question to me, that's what I see. I see that kind of like, okay, how how are these? Why are these decisions made? And those decisions well, are very. Here, here's where I'll jump in and say, here's what's going to happen to address Christoph's question. Some of the answers are not going to be that fun because they're about money. And so yeah. the story could potentially, you know, as you go down a path, you eventually come to an answer that's, it costs too much, or we couldn't put the money into it. And so you, you go so far, you find out a lot of something, and then maybe you don't really excise all of the story because it will always be the same answer, potentially. In, sure, in and, and I think that's a, a blanket kind of response maybe that we can refer to. I haven't really looked over the questions in depth, but... People want to know, are we going to talk about this? Are we going to talk about that? It really depends on the story behind it and how it feeds into the larger picture. Uh, with our goal being like a 95 to 100 minute thing, there's only so much that we can tell to get the definitive core across. Do we want to you know, reach into every nook? Absolutely. But of course, the best of the best has to be the stuff we keep. Yeah. Not only that, but I think even just to jump on on Rand's point there as well, like we discovered that with Turtles, especially in in the the kind of the review stage after the movie was out, is that some people would say, well, you know, why did you not address this specific topic? And we probably did ask that question to the director or the whatever the writer or the producer, and quite often the the answer is, I don't even remember doing that, or mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And it's and if you don't have that response to use if they really don't remember or they didn't have anything to do with it it's not very interesting to put in the film so yeah. we can we can try those things but you just don't know what you get yeah that's good that leads kind of nicely into this next question from uh mike robert champ and jedi kunley or kunley Will you explore background on characters and canon from the he-man universe including characters like clamp champ one of the few characters with African-inspired features, or characters like the first ones and the ancient ones who were said to be a part of the origins of the He-Man and She-Ra universe story? Great question. I think it goes back to what we kind of just said. Yeah, if there's a story behind these origins and it fits in, especially the more lines that it fits in, not just introducing a new toy, but a comic book and who made the decision with what side of the brass the more that those decisions kind of echo on all the different executionables, then yeah, that's the story you want to tell. If it's simply in the case of Clamp Champ, they had to introduce uh, an African character to have an African character, and that's the story. I don't know how much time we're going to introduce that unless we're trying to tell the story about how they're trying to diversify He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And and that's exactly what I was going to say. Rob's exactly right. If we dig in, something that we are very serious about is we don't we're four white guys we don't want to tell a story about four white guys looking at white people who like to do things that look like white people do them you know you want to find elements of different races different ethnic beliefs different culture ethnic beliefs <laughs> cultural beliefs and ethnicity it is late here you know you want to see women you want to see people of all different races creeds and colors represented in whatever you're looking at because that's what people are people are everything 
So and I think that's both sides of the page too, exactly. Randall. Not only what we see on the screen, but who the creators are and who, where they're coming from and how yeah. those beliefs get represented through what they create. Yeah. If it's there, if there's a story in it, we'll definitely look at that for sure. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, like, and also the bring up in the second part of their question about, uh, you know, the ancient ones and the origins and stuff like that. I think that that's, for me, it's also another one of those part of those, you know, really interesting aspects of Masters of the Universe because you have these different origin stories. It's sort of like a hodgepodge of the comics, the cartoon, and, and uh, you know, the toys themselves. And, like, even Rob and I were talking about the other day, you know, we were talking about looking at Castle Grayskull, the design in the cartoon, and this idea that, like you said, that you as a kid, you thought, well, maybe this kind of bone structure is that the, that the skull is a fallen, you know, a fallen ancient giant and it's like his head is actually a castle built around it and kind of like what are the origins of he-man i sure. don't know it's it's, it's all that stuff it's all it's all wherever the, the story is we're going to look and if that you know borders on religious beliefs within fantasy universes then so be it that's pretty cool well it's pretty interesting you were talking about origins there isaac because the next question comes from he ron and he asks or she i shouldn't assume uh just because it says he, he. I know, but it could they be ask, he. they ask, Heron asks, will you go into exactly why He-Man is the most powerful man in the universe? He's been depicted in a number of ways in regards to his invulnerability and super strength. Do you think we will go into that, guys? I well, think, just, go, okay, sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Isaac. Oh, okay. Uh, I was going to be sassy with that answer. You were going to be sassy? I was well, gonna Maybe a little bit. I was going to get super technical about it because of the fact that, I mean, if you go into like the first comic appearance, he's right there beside Superman, right? And they're, they're yeah. kind of re making reference to the fact that, you know, like it's like asking that, like how much, how powerful is Superman? Can he really do this? Can he really do that? Um, I mean, that question is answered in different ways across, uh, across all the, the, the platforms that, that that character or those characters are in. So I, I think it's a, a, a really interesting kind of like a question to ask within the within the film how powerful is he if he's up against superman that makes him pretty pretty powerful i think it's an interesting question directly because that's how they tried to position him but in a more thematic sense i think it's one of the reasons why we're doing the documentary in the first place when we talk about the power of he-man why is he a powerful character so more on the pop culture impact side and look at the number of ways in, in regards that his super strength has allowed him to last this long. So that's the side of it that I would come at. And, and I, would, I would tend to say something very similar. I would look at the why behind, like what is it about that manifestation of whatever power that's interesting or relevant or important, the decision-making behind it. You know, Some of the decision-making around Superman is flawed over the years because they can't build story because they can't find negatives. You have to have characters with weaknesses to have conflict to have a story so there's a lot of that question really brings up a lot of layers of answers that i think are are crucial for us to look at so yes yes and yes absolutely mm -hmm. this co-directing thing is going to work out beautiful rand i can tell so that far, right now so far so it's yeah. good it's a honeymoon period and i love it <laughs> <laughs> and, and then there's post-production hey nice well i had a little issue there with a button but i'm back <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can interpret that many ways. Yeah, you can interpret that, that anyways, wow. which brings us to the next question. Um, from Jafari Stu, 
Um, I love Jafari. <laughs> I'm getting so, so hungry. Oh, Jafari stew. Mm. I'm so curious about that name. Maybe he can uh, get back to us and explain what Jafari stew is. But he asked a great question. Are there plans to look back over the development of each wave of toys from the vintage master of the universe lines, including the original eight back lineup? I'm throwing this question to the toy guys. Watch. Oh, oh, there we go. I got it. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, again, this goes back to if there's a story, and I'm sure like you guys discovered with Turtles, when you were looking at the origins of those action figures, understanding the way that they rolled out the action figures and the way in which they grouped the waves is pretty crucial, not only from a marketing point of view, but for the longevity of the brand and for how those toys influenced what was in the cartoon and vice versa, and then ripple down to the comics and, of course, the movie. So the waves of characters that come out almost echo the evolution of the show uh, through all its entities. So I think it's something that will definitely be conscious of. Again, what is the story that impacts each of those decisions, and how can we use that to tell the greater, broader tale? Again, cool. it's one of these things where if the, if the question gets an answer that's all about the business, it becomes less fun to talk about. Um, sure. With Turtle Power, you know, you find John Handy, you find all these drawings, you find Peter and Kevin there, they're videotaping stuff, great. But you don't want to say everybody at Mirage wanted money because they wanted, you know, rights to their character. There are some answers that just aren't that interesting, and they're answers we all face every day. You know, why are you a nurse? Why are you working at a donut shop? To make money, and we want to find answers that are deeper than that. Yeah, there's... It's about finding the answers. Like, for example, somebody asked me, or I asked one of the production designers who was working on Empire Strikes Back, why is Lando Calrissian dressed in a uniform similar to Han at the end? There's no big theory behind that. There's no big fan thing. It's just that they wanted to dress Lando in something different to show that he had evolved. And they had an extra set of Harrison's clothes there. You know, so do we, would we do a segment like that and build that up? Like, it's interesting trivia, yeah. but is it important storytelling? It's, it's a one-off kind of answer, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next question comes from Nikki. It's good. And he or she um, says, will the documentary include the space-themed new adventures of He-Man? So while we're talking about all these different incarnations... Um, who wants to field that? I mean, I'll say from the post guy who's going to get all kinds of footage and all kinds of interviews, and I can say the way we do things, we go out there and we shoot everything. We un- uncover every stone we can possibly find and get every story. And like I said uh, earlier on, we often find things that nobody knows about. And that's right. you know obviously our hope. So we are definitely going to shoot information and stories and things about the space theme new adventures of he-man there's no doubt about it i'll let uh robert one of the other directors well I would, i'll jump that. in and say that we we were maybe talking to somebody today that had a, a lot to do with what? that show. yeah i think spoiler we alert spoiler what alert. Isaac? i'm not gonna say who but i i think we were talking today to somebody who was quite involved in, in that iteration, and we're very excited to talk to that person. Yeah, we are. And actually, the interesting thing about what this guy said on the phone today, which is a little, uh, just a little, um, I won't go into detail, but he was talking about where the space theme New Adventures would have went if it had 
continued to go in other seasons. And that I find really, really interesting. And I know you guys uh, are going to be really, really curious about that too. Yeah, even how, even the why was, like the why he went that direction was also interesting. You just told uh, him who we talked to. Oh. Ah. Without without did, saying it. Did we? Just, did we? Well, I'm not uh, really. Suffice, there you go. Now people can watch say, this. Teaser. They can go back. They can research. It's cool. Um, I think kind of like I said with the action figures and the decisions that, you know, affected those toys coming out, I think in a broader sense, the pillars of every major entity in the He-Man canon, like the new Adventures of He-Man, is incredibly important. Right now, it's kind of like a wish list as far as filmmakers are concerned. We don't know what the percentage is of any of this stuff in the final thing. I would love to say there's going to be a massive chunk on the new adventures as well as the 2000X series because these are all entries in the He-Man canon. We know the origins are in the 80s in that original filmation cartoon in the line with Mattel, but that's not it. You know, there is so much more to He-Man than that, and we're very well aware of it, and we want to tell those stories as well. It depends what we capture and how we can organize it. Done. Asked and answered. Yeah. So let's uh, head into a little bit different territory here. Well, not really, but related. And the question comes from Angel T. How much of your documentary will be focused on She-Ra, Princess of Power? I hope as tons. much as works. Yeah, <laughs> I hope tons. Yeah, Huge She-Ra fan. I mean, for so many reasons, She-Ra is, is such an important thing. That's Even though we're saying it's the definitive history of Masters of the Universe, She-Ra is part of that. I mean, their villains, the Horde, were, you know, Masters of the Universe toys. They weren't part of the Princess of Power line. So we can go on and on why it's so crucial. But yes, we want She-Ra involved. Big time. 100%. Well, it's a continuation of the same show. It's the same. It is. Yeah, especially with series. all of the crossover episodes that there were, too. Exactly, yeah. And what do we always want to do? We want to represent men, women, women cultures, sure. like whatever. Whenever you get something that's not the same thing, that's always innately interesting. Yep. So the same thing is, here's a boy, there's a toy, there's a hero, there's a sword. No offense to that stuff. We love that stuff. But here's a chance for something a little different. So we're going to look at it. And you bet. Actually, today I was... I was uh, being picked up by a production um, person. Ooh, who, lucky. We were, we, <laughs> I've started this story very awkwardly. Anyway, she drove me to go get the rental truck. Even better, yes. Oh, yeah. Where did you have dinner? <laughs> <laughs> I am married, see? Um, they, uh, anyway, uh, we were driving, we were talking about this project that we're working on, and she said, Oh my God, I still have my Princess of Power sword that lights up and the crown in my, you know, grandma's, you know, costume chest or something in the attic. And I said, that might be even worth something, judging by <laughs> some of the products that we've seen out and about. And that's pretty cool. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to go into She-Ra. Yeah, especially since so many of the people that worked on He-Man were essentially translated to the She-Ra side of things. So... One kind of one hand washes the other, so I'm really excited about exploring that though, just like the new adventures. Asked and answered, yeah, yeah, man. So, the next question uh, kind of relates, it's kind of interesting. From Cute Cult, they ask, Will you look into why some of the figures were so rare and how the market played into that, such as Spinnerella from Princess of Power? You have to. This, the idea of collectibles and collectors. That is how the, the He-Man market has been around for how many years? How many years has it just been about collectors, right? 
Right. There, I mean, the collecting community is kind of what's kept it alive and kept bringing these invitations for the reiterations. Now, how we capture that aspect, of course, is still up in the air. What is the best way to do this? Are these going to be interstitials where we talk about these kind of things and they allow us to leap back in time? You know, and it's a handoff kind of thing. So, again, as filmmakers, we're still trying to sort that out. But we are very aware of the collectability market. I mean, you're talking to the director of Nintendo Quest, an entire documentary about collecting vintage toys, essentially, right? So believe me, it's very present in our minds. Um, and I even sorry to jump ahead to the next question mark. Um, they ask something very similar. Well, you know, do you plan up. to investigate the the origins of Savage He-Man, which is originally thought to be a Wonder Bread He-Man, uh, which is a Malin figure? So there is a whole kind of myth behind this figure as well as a prototype, as a kind of a tie-in. Um, so yeah, these are important stories. These are the stories, right? These are the myths that have survived 30 years that won't go away. So how we plan to include them is still to be said, though. And everybody watching this or listening should remember, too, we are all collectors. So yeah. we, we, we talk about this because this is what we like anyway. Yeah. This is how most of the conversations go. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we had this? And how can we shoot this? And, oh, yeah, you know, we'll make a film, but can we get this piece? And mm -hmm. the film is always kind of like, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. But where are the pieces that we want to see? What I think is cool is this uh, question came from uh, Adam, Prince of Eternia. I mean, that sounds familiar to me. I mean, Adam is the first man. Yeah, first man. Yeah, never, never heard of him. Never, never heard of him. him. Anyway, thank you, Adam, Prince of Eternia. Right. Um, we really appreciate that question coming in. And our next question kind of uh, connects to something else we've been working on. And uh, I'm going to jump to it. Skeletor, Skeletor Robo. Robo. Skeletor, Skeletor Robo. Robo. Got it. He asks, will you try or to get... it could be Skeletorable. Yes, Skeletorable. Yes, it could be. It's a very <laughs> good name. And we like your name, and we like your question. And you ask, will you try to get Arnold Schwarzenegger's opinion on his memories of the early 80s? He-Man phenomenon, given that He-Man appears to have a connection to the late 70s, early 80s bodybuilding action movie and Conan the Barbarian culture go rand. I can't imagine that he would tell us these answers to these questions. It's very difficult to remember that far back. He's done so many things since then. I like it, yes. It's nice. <laughs> it's, nice. it's nice. Rob, if... <laughs> I'm gonna answer I, this I, I just need a minute here to kind of just take in what just happened. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, here's what happens. If you're going to talk to Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, we were planning to talk to Arnold about Conan the Barbarian, something that's really important to him. It's very difficult to ask him about something else. When you're talking to someone about a subject matter and you're you're pulling them through and and you know, trying to create a, a flow of information from someone who might be looking at his watch or thinking about how soon, how much, how long, why is it, you know what I mean? They're basically metering out their time. It's hard to then change the subject and say, hey, what about He-Man? And he might say, you know, I, well, I don't really know much about He-Man. However, we're going to try and get everything we can out of Arnold in the time we get with Arnold, assuming we get it. So, sure. I, I think, that, again, the, the answer goes back to one of the first questions. When you look at the origins of the line, Star Wars and Conan and all these other things, something that Arnold talks about with regards to Conan 
might fit in that discussion, even if he's not directly exactly. talking about He-Man. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so well it, said. And the part of his question too, you know, take uh, Conan out of it, just the part about bodybuilding and you know all of that. You know, the bigger question, you know, and maybe we'll discover this to be true. Was there something about that time in the late seventies, early eighties, where bodybuilding was a thing? And I totally think there is. I think that's a great through line. I yeah. mean. You know, the the macho, the machismo of the 80s action here, where a leading man was then, which also points to films like The Expendables now having a resurgence, all those same stars coming back together. Mm -hmm. And you look at that cast, a lot of them are tied to the things we're talking about. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's a flow of info for sure. Mm -hmm. Number 10. Number 10. So we have a question here. I'm just going to bring it up. And this one uh, is a bit <clears throat> mysterious, this one actually, because... There's no There's name no attached to it. So uh, someone anonymously posted wow. this very strange and mysterious question. Wow. It came from asked, the ether. It came from the ether somewhere. Will you include the cartoon voice actors and discuss what they contributed to and how they contributed to the success of the brands? Isaac, who are you seeing on Sunday? We might be seeing Cam Clark on Sunday. And I think who's, he who's Cam Clark? Well, what's that guy done? Well, actually, he did uh, Leonardo from the Ninja Turtles. He did Come on, guys. we got to practice. <laughs> Master <laughs> yeah, Splinter go. said something different today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did some, a lot of video games. Man, he's done a lot of stuff. He's a, a very um, successful voice actor. Uh, and he also did uh, Adam and He-Man from the 2000X series. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty cool. And uh, we'll be doing a panel with him in London, Ontario uh, this coming Sunday. And uh, so hopefully we'll have a chance to chat with him about uh, He-Man while we're there. I think that the easiest way to answer question number 10 from the Heather, <laughs> see what I did there, guys? Uh, will you he include in, the creators? Will you include the creators and discuss what they contributed to the success of the brand? And creators can be anybody that has touched the brand directly or indirectly. And I think, again, that ripples down at some point to the fans and current collectors. But our priority is, I think you guys coined the phrase, fans up, kind of the people, the boots yeah. on the ground. The yeah. people are the story. And again, I'll always say the same thing. I'm like a broken record. But, you know, it was surprising or a pleasant surprise, you know, when we did Turtles, how important the voice actors were, um, you know, to the franchise and how, you know, how much they really were um, just their whole spirit and the way they work together kind of created, you know, the whole uh, vibe and contributed so much to, to who He-Man became, or the Turtles in that case became. So we hope to interview, again, as many people as possible. Which brings us to question number 11 from Super Dan. This is a good one. Will you interview some of the creators of He-Man, like Mark Taylor and Roger Sweet? Mark Taylor's original concept art uh, is of special interest. Same answer. Uh, no doubt, yes. Same answer. It's yeah, we, we basically want to talk to everybody. We are in talks with a number of people. We're not at the point where we can announce at this forum who exactly has agreed to participate, who we're still talking to, who we have yet to reach out to. But know we are working hard and know that people in the community are working hard with us to have the most inclusive possible documentary ever. And, and creative people who are designing and drawing and creating yes. art 100%. Like boots on the ground. We have yeah. the He Army ready to rock. Nice. The Hear Me? Yeah. 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 The Hear, yeah. Me? The hear Me. 
Yeah, and I think <laughs> that is definitely part of the uh, one of the most interesting parts of the process when we've been doing Turtles and Conan and these other documentaries. You know, art is art. You know, yeah. In, you know, in the past, some people might have looked at comic book or cartoon or whatever and thought, you know, that's just cheap. That's over there. That's you know, uh, that's not fine art. But you know, we're here at our age and you guys at your age. You know, because we respect the art. And we can't wait to see Mark Taylor's original concept art and whoever else we discover that uh, contributed to the Conan. Uh, or should, not, should, not Conan should we take a, a second here? Yeah. Maybe each one of us can say someone who has confirmed participation that we're excited to talk to? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we can try. We certainly can try. I should uh, say Isaac and has been taking care of most of that, and that's part yes. of his role there. So let him uh, jump in on this. Um. Oh, it's hard because you, you never know who who we get because <laughs> at the end of the day we go. Okay, out just and we, pick a name off the list, Isaac. You're excited about a bunch of people. We've had many a talk every time we've had these correspondents. Who who excites you the most so far, or who are you looking forward to talking here? Their perspective. Um, I'm I well okay. I'll choose one. Um, I'm really excited. Like I'm a big uh, Frank Frazetta fan. Uh, huge Frank Rosetta fan, so to do a lot of the work we did on Conan was a uh, was a big honor to to meet people like Frank Rosetta Jr. Um, and and people like Boris Vallejo, some of his like contemporaries in terms of uh, oil painting artists. So one of my favorite aspects of the the Masters of the Universe franchise was that box art, which is oil paintings that are much like a He Man, or sorry, much like a Conan by a Frazetta and uh, Rudy Obrera, Obrero. Rudy Obrero uh, was one of the artists who did like the box art for Castle Grayskull and stuff like that. So I'm really excited to to speak to to him. For instance, that's a pretty exciting. Mark, are there any names off the list that that jump to you or? Um, you know, I'm gonna. I I can't think of any names that jump into my mind. And this is something. Well, who did you talk to today? That guy sounds really interesting. You kind of alluded to it earlier. Here's something everybody needs to know about me is that I forget names. I remember sure. faces, and honestly, I have this sort of, this is for real, like this kind of dyslexia when it comes to names, and Isaac and 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 uh, Rank and attest to it, and Rob, you'll discover this guy, that too. It'll <laughs> be like five minutes later, and I'll be calling the guy George. Well, that's just because you're honestly thinking about all the tech all the time. Uh, it's 100%. You're, you're doing the handshake, and yeah, you're yeah. very personable, it's but like, like yeah, we got to make much. sure we get this. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's, but anyway, the guy we talked to today, what was his name, Isaac? Jack. Jack Olesker. Yeah. From, from Jet Lag Productions, The New Adventures, yeah, the showrunner, so essentially. He told us some awesome stories, and that really got me excited, and I alluded to some of it a bit earlier where he was talking yeah. briefly about what the next seasons could have been, and he, he understood why some of the fans you know, didn't appreciate the new Masters of the Universe uh, season, you know, because he left Eternia, and that was all strange, but it was all f part of a bigger story arc without giving too much away. And some of the stuff he was talking about, you know, I'm someone, like Rand said, we're too old, you know, to have watched He-Man, so we weren't really into it. But when I hear stories like that, it gets me really, really excited. And this guy was really, really passionate, so I'm looking forward to that interview. That's going to be great. Rand, is there is there anybody that jumps up for you? Yeah, Derek Gable. Um, Derek Gable was in, I think he told me he started at Mattel in, was it 64 yeah, or 65? Some, sometime around there. Just think of that. So... This is a guy who came over from England, uh, got a job at Mattel, and was really at ground zero of boys' action figures, and he's seen everything. He's 
he was at the meeting where they decided they couldn't go with Star Wars, for example. Like, this is crazy. So talking to him was really interesting historically. And for me, it's always going to be something, well, I shouldn't say that. It's often going to be something heady like that, something that's that's steeped in history and touches a lot of other uh, cultural elements. So I, I like those people that are sort of in the knuckle of history. Well, just even to throw a little contextual thing there, I mean, like 62, 63 uh, is the first G.I. Joe figure, right? Yeah. G.I. Joe 12-inch. That's the beginning of boys' toys, action figures. I yeah. know that's, uh. that's Hasbro, it's not Mattel, but like you say, he's there at the, that yeah, he time. Was, he was in England at that time. And just... I mean, anyway, I'm not going to go on, but really interesting conversation. And you think about a guy like that being in the room when somebody said, no, we can't take Star Wars. That's too much money for something that's not tested. So you can see wow. how we're already going on, everybody that's listening and, and watching that. As we talk to these people, the narratives are forming in our head. Oh, yeah. How we're going to take their contributions and put it in and not only relate it to the story of He-Man, but that broader picture how He-Man is still at the center. Rand, you keep mentioning the Venn diagram. So we're always going to be in that core. But what is that outlier? What does that look like? And how does that relate back? And how, how does that core still support it with all these different people and all these broad strokes? Mm -hmm. That is why something like He-Man is to the test of time. And that is why it's important. That is why we're doing the documentary on it. So um, quickly, before we before, so we can move on, I'm really excited for the Four Horsemen. Uh, which is a group of sculptors that started with McFarlane and really ushered in the new adult collecting era for a lot of this vintage stuff that has been reimagined. Um, these guys are pro, pro, top-notch sculptors. They started working on the 2000X series for He-Man. They're working on the Thundercats line now with Mattel and continuing to do the, the Mattel stuff. Uh, so talking to them about what it's like to take the burden of that toy line and so with so, something that has such a legacy and move it forward in a different direction, yet pay homage. It, it's, it'll be really cool to talk to those guys and see that creative process. I'll throw one more name out there because I remember this one. Robert Kirkland. When I saw his name come up on the list. Kirkman. Kirkman. See, okay. I did it again. Yep. You heard it here first, <laughs> folks. But anyway, it's, it's, anyway, I could be embarrassed about that, but that's just who I am. But I found that his name jumping up on the list was pretty surprising, and I'm pretty curious about that. It'd be amazing if we could get him. Of yeah. course, for those who aren't sure, that's the creator of The Walking Dead cultural giant right now insane he's also involved with uh, akiva goldsman at platinum dunes they're creating the transformer universe so he's got his fingers in lots of pie right now yeah man well let's get back to the question shall we we got uh three more to go, we go. and we're already at 47 minutes and we don't want to bore you guys but we're sure enjoying talking about this this is from hoover will you all take a look at how successful and popular the toy line was in the 80s. And I think we talked about that a bit already. Backbone. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, highlighting the popularity is something that will happen for us quite easily. Backbone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a no, I mean, it's just going to happen. I mean, there would be no He-Man that you guys wouldn't even be. Uh, I, I think, honestly, how successful and popular all the toy lines were and to what degree and what that meant for the brand. Yeah. And and when you do a doc like this, you deal with nostalgia straight up. So we're going to be dealing right into that. Very much so. 100%. This next question uh, kind of takes us to the whole other side of things. This is from Mike Shork or Mick Shork. 
Do you all plan to look into the future of the Masters of the Universe franchise? Cross your fingers. Cross your fingers. We're talking to you, Sony. Columbia Pictures. We're talking to you guys. I, 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 it's not much of a secret. Of, yeah. We definitely want to do this. Um, even if it's from talking to the creators of the past, speculating on where it goes from here, um, our own kind of uh, opinions via the questions we ask people, even if it's a fan-generated response about what it could be or maybe what Mattel has planned, even within the context of our shooting window where we might learn information that is basically on a need-to-know basis while we're filming and then people get to see that process. Like the Four Horsemen, for example. If we meet with them and they show us some new sculpts that haven't been revealed, that's kind of looking into the near future window of the brand. Um, again, I hate to be the broken record like Mark. Because He-Man has lasted this long, this is why we're doing it. We know... I believe He-Man will be around forever in some form or another. Mm-hmm. And I, I have reached out to people that are looking at the He-Man movie to come, right? That's yeah. es- escape artists, and they're tied to Sony, and that's they're working with Mattel right now. And of course, if there's something happening there, we'd be crazy not to try and, and look at it. It's, it's yeah. important to the story. By the way, wouldn't that be a great ending to the story, he says, pointing at Turtle Power and Shenmue. Yeah, I was just going to say... And, and Conan, right? Because that, that's coming too, maybe. <laughs> I am really crossing some fingers there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, we obviously hope for that, you know, to happen for the sake of the franchise. And, uh, you know, our hope too is that in doing documentaries like this and getting that story out there, it actually helps if something is coming, you know, helps to define that and make it, keep it more pure and clear. We're heading into our last question of the night, and this is a great question to end with. Um, coming from, oh, I don't have his name on here. Yes, Some, it's, this is Smog. Oh, this is Smog. Sorry. Um, it's there. I'll pull it up in the screen in a second. Have you decided the audience for this documentary? As in, will it be for the diehard fan who may seek more obscure information or for a general audience who may not be too familiar with the property? I'll jump in with a quick answer. I think it would be for both. Yeah, the answer would be yes. <laughs> I agree. I think if I were to try to give a visual for the audience, it would be like a sine wave. It's going to constantly go back and forth between each and hit peaks and valleys of both sides of it. It's going to be broad enough for people that don't know anything about He-Man and the Masters Universe to jump in and get a quick grasp on what we're talking about and quickly get pulled into these these nooks and crannies that the diehards are, are itching to hear about. Yeah, I mean, I would point to to the Turtle Power film as an example because with that film, we definitely tried to do that, like like you said, with this the sort of sine wave idea where I know that you know a general audience like the the quote your your mom can watch that that film and get something out of it, and I know there's stuff in there that the most diehard Turtle fans couldn't know about so would find interesting and find something that they didn't know about because we uncovered we're lucky enough to uncover stuff in that film that that nobody actually ever knew so just say this people are interesting and human stories are universal so when we talk to people they tell us their stories we pull the parts out that are universal and meaningful and communicate something that everybody can understand and it could be he-man it could be star wars it could be an earthquake. It could be anything that happens to humans where people do things. There's a way to turn that story into something universal. 
So th- this, this is a pretty good segue point too, Mark. I, did you want to jump in quickly before well, I segue? All I was going to say, and, and Rob's probably got had this compliment with his movie too, but the greatest compliments we get are from fans, you know, that you know are Turtle fans who say, my wife actually really loved your movie, right? Be- and I'm sure, Rob, you get the same kind of comments. And yeah. that means a lot to us as filmmakers because it means we've, we've broached... Uh, you know, we've broached that line or we've, we've crossed that line where there's enough meat there for the fan, but it's also what Rand was talking about, a story that's just interesting in spite of, you know, what it is is in the background, whether that's Turtles, whether that's He-Man, whether that's Nintendo, um, it's going to be a great story. And we're not saying that moms and wives don't like Ninja Turtles or He-Man. Oh, on gosh, no. I was going to jump in. No, no, no. But I, I was talking specifically to some of the comments. Yeah, yeah, I'll be the first to say my wife is not a gamer. No, it's specifically. And she happily watched Nintendo <laughs> Quest 100 our, times. Our wives. Yeah. That's why we say wives and mothers. Yeah. It's our wives. I yeah, mean, exactly. If, if um, but this a is husband, a great segue to maybe just kind of close things up with a quick maybe chat about Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, we t- they just wow. we've had a few questions that ask, you know, is this going to be hardcore? How long is it going to be? What is the audience? And I know we're because of industry standards, most people that we'll be selling it to are going to want that ninety to one hundred minute documentary. That's the saleable kind of yeah. thing. That's just industry standard. Nobody's going to watch a five hour film if you don't know about it. It's going to be a harder sale. So because we're business people and filmmakers, this is what we do for a living. We always have to take that into account. Now that said, mm-hmm. now that said, this is where Kickstarter gets really, really fun. Um, we're still working this out. So don't hold us to this like it's the magic word to get into Council Grayskull, which we know, but we can't reveal at this point. Um, we want to offer stretch goals or other incentives to do a fan kind of extended cut, not just deleted scenes, but actual extended version of the film. Um, whether that's a two-hour version as opposed to a 90-minute, a two-and-a-half. Um, we don't know yet because we don't know what we have. We're still kind of just talking to people to figure it out. But Kickstarter is your way to help support this film and get a longer version that does go more in-depth, that does have more of these stories with the people that made this brand possible that you guys love, that we love. I can say this, too. When um, when we are originally in any pitch if we were to talk to a paramount a sony a universal a warner brothers a fox keep going anybody we talk to i always present here are the different elements that fans want to see maybe there's a normal version that's 98 minutes but there's going to be somebody who wants to watch a two hour a two and a half hour (laughs) an extended cut whatever Isaac, how many extra sections did you cut together as modules for Turtle fans that could have been used had they wanted to go that direction? Oh, I think, I mean, there's something like 12 sections, but even the rough cut that we sat down and watched before we finished it was four and a half hours long. Yeah, we watched a four and a half hour cut with Peter Laird, and he thought it was pretty good. Yeah. But, yeah. of course, he's inside the bubble. so he, he and, But this, is again, goes back to the difference, right? You guys dealing with the behind-the-curtain corporate giant, for, what, for lack of a better term, that, you know, are supporting the brand nowadays. And you guys made a film that is very sunny-side-up. Turtles are awesome in that case. On my side, with Nintendo Quest, I was able to release the 20 deleted scenes and the six extended interviews. So now we're trying to find a hybrid version of that because we all see the value in doing that. I think there might be even stretch goals. Again, we're still sorting this out where the first one might be that extended cut. And the second one might be like 
full-on sequences or segments that are kind of mini featurettes. So for all you Shira fans or new adventure fans, if we find when we're doing the film that there's we have so much stuff, but we can really only include it. But here's a cool 10 or 15 minute, like more encapsulating look at this particular section, like Marvel Star Comics or the mini comics. Mm-hmm. Then that would be a great opportunity for us to do that. But we need your support in order to do that to begin with. Yeah. And I think also, you know, doing the Kickstarter thing first, you know, it helps to uh, cement some of those things, you know. So yes. before a distributor gets in play, before we're talking to a studio, before all of that, you know, if that interest is there and there's commitments there um, that have been made already from the Kickstarter perspective, then that gives us some leverage to make sure that those things do happen as yeah. opposed to being delayed or being locked up somewhere or someone else owning the footage. So it's our it's in our uh, best interest, your best interest, you know, to, to, to really... Um, you know, get this Kickstarter out there, get these stretch goals out there so that we can do all the things that you hope we can do. Yeah, basically help us tie our hands so when we go to distribution, <laughs> it's, sorry, we've already committed to the thousands of he fans out there and she ravers that want to see this happen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Rob. Oh. Oh. No good? No good, Randall? No, I, I agree. It's, yeah. <laughs> It's just it's it, I like it and it's scary <laughs> at the it same is. time. It is scary. Uh and I guess probably people are going to want to know when this Kickstarter starts and we know the holidays are coming up. American Thanksgiving is yeah. the end of November. Of course, holidays people are going crazy. We hope to launch this realistically mid to late January. It may slip to early February. We know people are conscious about their bills right after Christmas. Um, and as far as the actual length, this is something that we're still going to determine between us, whether it's 30 days or 40 days. We'll try to make it easy for you guys to be involved. It'll be an ongoing presence. Um, I think I've been delegated as the guy to kind of monitor it day to day. So you'll probably be uh, dealing with me directly for all your kind of up to the minute questions. But we're all going to be around should you have questions about the whole Kickstarter process. And we've got some really cool rewards, too. I think that we're working out talking to some people that are in the community to help us. Yeah. Well, I think that'll do it then, guys. Yeah? yeah? It's that's, an hour. That's great. So if you want to find us, you can do that at www.hemandoc.com. You can find us on Facebook, HeMandoc. You can find us all over the place separately. I'm at the Lab Coat Guy on Twitter. You can okay. find us. HeManDoc.com is the easiest way yeah. to kind of get a hold of us, and we can swindle that. you with all our other projects and information. <laughs> Too many buttons. But that's where we are. Many buttons. Press the buttons. Um, but thank you again, HeMan.org, for hosting this. We'll probably maybe do another one during Kickstarter, should you have questions there, because we're going to get fielded with a lot, guys. Uh, and let's just keep this momentum going. So thanks for stopping by, Isaac, Randall, and Mark uh, from Rob McCallum. We appreciate it, you guys. Um, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>